0: Please do turn with me in your Bibles today to the book of Colossians. Today we are in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 5 and we'll read through verse 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is a Bible there in the pew before you. And we will begin on page 1816. But today we are going to look at uh, Colossians 3 verses 5 through 11. And before we read um, the Scripture today, I just wanted to touch... Touch base on a couple of things in my conclusion last week, I made reference to to somebody who had gotten on to me for only quoting secular song lyrics. And that was kind of an inside joke. That was a uh, that was a, just a little back and forth between me and that person. That was not a criticism that I had received. That was a an inside joke between me and that person that in retrospect was out of place. And so I don't want you to think that if you come to me with concerns about my sermons that I'm going to point you out in my next sermon. Um, I, I, I value your input on my sermon. And so I, I realized in doing that I, I might have given you the impression that if you do give me criticism that I will take it out on you as a sermon illustration, and that is not the case. Um, so please forgive me for that. The other thing I wanted to touch base on is while I will be as discreet as I possibly can in today's sermon, there are portions of today's sermons that may not be safe for the little ears. And so parents with young children, if I, if I, um, say anything that causes you to have to answer difficult questions, um, following the sermon, I apologize ahead of time. But I do think it's important for us to understand as, um, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver told the children in The Chronicles of Narnia, "We worship a God who is not safe, but he is good." And so sometimes there are portions in his word that may not be safe for certain ears to hear, but they are good words that God gives to us. And so as we approach Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 through 11, let us keep that in mind. Hear these words from our Lord and Savior Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways of life. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its, of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all, is all, and is in all let us pray. Our God and Father, we approach your word today and we ask that you prepare our hearts to hear and to accept what you have to say to us today. And I ask especially today for your your spirit. I am a broken vessel. I am an earthen vessel that has cracks that has holes, that is broken and is empty as I approach your word today. So fill me with your spirit. Fill this place with your spirit so that as each of us carry our earthen vessels from this place and our cracks show through, that what people see is the glory of your spirit, through the cracks in us, and that we may no longer be empty, but filled with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, as we talked about and and sought to answer the question, what is true about me, when we talked about the truths that that are presented to us in Colossians 2, verse 20 through 3, verse 4, We talked about three specific truths. We talked about the fact that we are crucified with Christ. Our old nature, our sinfulness, that sinful mode of existence in which we live before God as fallen humanity has been crucified with Christ. And then we talked about the truth that we are then raised with Christ. God does not leave us, not only not dead in our trespasses and sins, but He doesn't just leave us Crucified in Christ, He raises us in Christ as well. And we talked about the truth of that being the fact that we are presented before God as glorious, as holy, as righteous, and as sanctified right now. And then we talked about that we are hidden in Christ, that third truth that is true about us, that we are hidden in Christ. And we looked at John 17 and talked and looked at Jesus' prayer that His people would have the same unity with God that Jesus had. And Paul expressed that it's true about us right now that we are hidden in Christ. And we also talked a little bit about the fact that we don't often feel that way. We don't often live that way. We are holy, but we don't lead holy lives. Our sinfulness, our sinful nature has been destroyed. And yet sometimes sometimes we still pursue sinful lives. And we looked at the metaphor of a marriage in the first century, in first century Palestine. And we talked about the betrothal where a man would go to a woman's family, he would negotiate with them for her hand in marriage, and it would be as though they were already married. Except he had to leave and go to prepare a place for them to live until he came back and brought her to be his bride. We are betrothed to God in our death, in our crucifixion with him, in our being raised with him, in our being hidden with him. We are betrothed. And yet we are awaiting for the bridegroom to return so that we may have revealed the glory and the holiness and the majesty that is ours right now. So what do we do during that time period? What do we do in that period between the time that we are betrothed to Christ and the time that we await his return? That is what the rest of chapter three and a good portion of chapter four begins to deal with. Because even though our sinfulness has been put to death in the cross, we still live under the influence of sin. And it is still work for us to put sin to death in our life. Many people look at this and they look at Paul's letters because this shows up throughout Paul's letters we talked about in in Sunday school today. Even as we looked at the book of Zechariah, we talked about in Sunday school that it shows up throughout Paul's letter that you are either righteous, you are holy, you are glorious, however he puts it in that letter. And then he says to live like it. Paul's not contradicting himself here. Paul's not contradicting himself anywhere He realizes the reality that we grow up as slaves to sin. And when we are set free by the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, even though we have an inner freedom to serve God and to pursue the holiness that is ours, we oftentimes pursue sin. And so in today's passage, what Paul does is he begins to give us the remedy for that. And he gives us the remedy for that by telling us to put sin to death because you are a new creation. The first thing he teaches us is to put sin to death. The overarching command, we want to know what to do with what God teaches us about us, about himself, about Jesus and his word. We always want that application point. The application point today, if you don't get anything else, get this. The application point is put sin to death now this sounds drastic to us we don't put sinners to death anymore we we don't like as a culture we don't like capital punishment because you know people are just oftentimes good they are you know they're just a little mistaken they've just kind of gotten off the track a little bit and so let's put them back on the track but paul says god says through paul no since your sinful nature has been put to death, put sin to death in your own life. This, this reflects Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 through 30, where Jesus is talking about lust being adultery. And he said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off because it's better for you to enter heaven maimed than hell whole. Or he says, pluck your eye out if it causes you to sin for the same reason why do we have to take such drastic measures against sin sin is destructive sin can destroy you sin can destroy your family sin can destroy the church the people of god sin uh, even the smallest of sins will take a church and rip it right down the middle if sin is not put to death. I think it was John Owen that says that we need to be killing sin unless sin be killing you. Sin is destructive, and we must take drastic measures against it. And in this particular passage, Paul deals with two categories of sin. One of them is a personal category, and one of them is a corporate category, although either one of them could destroy either our personal life or our corporate life. The first category of sins that Paul looks at are personal sins. And specifically these personal sins are sexual in nature. He talks about sexual immorality and that word used throughout the Greek uh, the Greek language and also throughout the scripture is basically any sexual act outside of marriage. He says, put to death sexual immorality. He says, put to death impurity. In a broad sense, impurity is anything that makes us unclean before God, that makes us unworthy of standing before God. But in the context here, Paul is telling them to put to death any impure sexual thoughts that you might have. Passion. We all long for passionate relationships, but the word that is here is not the good kind of passion. It's any type of lust that seeks to gratify ourselves through the objectification of another. Evil desire is a craving for something evil. And finally, greed, which is idolatry. It's a desire to always have something more. And Paul says that each and every one of these sins needs to be put to death. In first century Rome, sex was not something that was seen as a God-given intimate relationship between a man and a woman who have become one flesh through marriage. Sex was power. And it was used for power. If you wanted to exert your power and authority over somebody, you used sex. And in the Roman world, it didn't matter if that was a woman, a weaker male, or a child. If you wanted to exert your power and authority and your status in the community... You use sex. We talk about in our culture today, we talk about the Me Too movement, we talk about all the all the, the respect and the, the, the consent that must be available in a relationship between two adults. We wouldn't have that thought were it not for Christianity. Were it not for Christianity changing the Roman culture, And Paul says, stop it. Paul says, stop pursuing these evil sexual problems, these evil sexual sins, because they will destroy you. We see this most often in our culture and unfortunately in our church through pornography use. The proliferation of people who stand or sit before a computer and look at things they should not look at and objectify people they should not objectify. Turn them into objects for gratification. It destroys you. destroys the people on the other side of the screen. It will destroy your church. It will destroy your family. And we must put it to death. But Paul, in linking these categories to idolatry, reminds us that anything that consumes us to the point that we pour our affections and desires into that instead of God is something in our lives that we must put to death. The second category hit me hard and emptied me this week because they're corporate sins. And not just because they're corporate sins, but because of the specific corporate sins that Paul decided to address here. He starts with anger. Anger is a slow gradual rising of emotion that grows to a white heat and is not fully expended even when there is an outburst the angry person yells and screams and destroys people verbally and then carries the anger with them he says put aside rage rage is mildly better than anger because when it destroys, it's expressed and it's gone. It's that person that, that yells and screams and then walks away okay. But it's still a sin. Malice. It's an evil attitude that desires to harm or to injure others. Slander. The, the word for slander there is literally blasphemy. When we blaspheme about God, we are seeking to destroy God with our words. But the the context here said this is blasphemy toward another person, toward another church member, toward a brother or sister in Christ. It's any reproachful or destructive language directed at another. Obscene talk. This isn't just dirty jokes or, or cursing for the sake of cursing, although I don't know why you do that. It's foul or obscene words directed toward another especially toward those who offend or oppose you. And finally, lying. Do not lie about one another. It's any deception, deliberate untruthfulness, such as half truths that convey wrong wrong impressions, exaggeration, or the distortion of facts. How do you react to people who are different than you? They may look different than you, but more most of the time in our culture, we all look the same. We, But we are different ideologically. We are different in the way we view religion or politics or culture or music. How do we react to people that are different than us? Social media, which has its benefits, which, which can be good, which has allowed many, many people, myself included, to keep up with people who I would have lost contact with in a different time, in a different generation but social media gives us the ability to destroy another person without ever having to look them in the eye i read an article the other day it was by a man i was so i was so edified by this article it was written by a man who talked about the fact that he has a group of friends that they that he disagrees with fundamentally on many many issues that oftentimes they will gather together over a meal or over a drink they will disagree sometimes vehemently But they leave shaking hands, being friends, knowing that they're going to get together again. And it was a breath of fresh air. And then I made the mistake of reading the comments. And some of you are chuckling because you know what I found. It was the destruction of that man for having the audacity to love somebody who was different than him. To fellowship with somebody who was different than him and there was anger expressed, and there was rage expressed, and there was tons of slander expressed, and unfortunately there was obscene talk expressed in those comments as well. But we do it right here. How many of you have had just the teeniest, tiniest of little things? That somebody sitting across the aisle in the pew before you or the pew behind you, man, they just said that thing just wrong and you let it needle around in there like a like a small rock in your shoe. You know if you if you go walking long enough with a small rock in your shoe, then then you get a little sore. And if you keep going, that sore gets bigger. And if you keep going, that sore gets even bigger until it's infected. And if you let it go long enough, the foot will rot off. If we do that in the church, Paul says it will destroy the church. But it's not just the destruction that comes upon me for personal sin. It's not just the destruction that comes upon the church for the corporate sin. Paul says, if you pursue these sins, God's wrath is coming. This is a a present active participle here, which means God's wrath is here now. God disciplines sin here today. God disciplines those whom He loves, and so if we continue in sin, God will discipline us for that sin. But it's also a future verb, because God is coming and He will judge sin once and for all. And the scary thing about this is if we carry these sins in our heart, if we carry these sins in our, sh- in, in our church, And we are unwilling to put them to death. We may be in trouble. We may be living a lie. And we may have God's judgment waiting for us. When we get into his great throne room. Into his courtroom. And so I encourage each and every one of us today. If you engage in these personal and corporate sins, and this falls right back on me, if we engage in these personal and corporate sins on a regular basis and we don't care that God hates them, well, as comedian John Chris says, we better check our heart and make sure that it's in the right place and make sure that our inward life and our outward confession match Paul calls us to put sin to death, but he calls us to do it for a reason. Remember, in all of Paul's letters, he does not tell us how to live until he tells us who we are. And so we put sin to death because we are a new creation. He says here in this passage today, he says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Many of us turn to first Corinthians chapter six, verse nine, whenever we want to talk about the culture and point out to the culture, its sinfulness and its destructive nature. And in first Corinthians nine says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And we stop there and we say, see, the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. But we need to read, read the rest of that section, because Paul says, and this is what some of you were. Paul says it in first Corinthians, he says it here today. I am calling out these sins because some of you used to live that way. Some of you used to be underneath the wrath of God because of these sins. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he goes on to say, "You were He said, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And brothers and sisters, the glorious of the glorious news of what Paul says here, he said, you used to be this way, but you're not anymore. And so when God comes along and He needles in my heart and He empties me out because of the sins that I am convicted of as I prepare a sermon or as I do my personal Bible study, He doesn't leave me wallowing in my despair. He doesn't leave me fearful of God's wrath and judgment that may rest upon me in the future. He says, Ike, you used to be this way, but you're not anymore. You are my holy child. I have adopted you. I have set you free from the power of sin and I have given you the ability to take those leftover vestiges of sin and put them to death without fear of me because I have paid for your sins. And he says not only that in today's passage, he says not only... Have you not been that way? But you are renewed and you are being renewed. Put to death because you have put off your old self and have put on your new self. There's that past reality of being buried with Christ, of being raised with Christ, of being hidden with Christ. That has been done to you. And what is being done to you right now is that you are being renewed in knowledge and renewed in the image of their Creator. The same God that said, let there be light, is changing Me. The same God that said, let the sun, moon, and stars appear out of nothing, is renewing you. He has renewed you, and that power is there. And then the third thing that we see as we are a new creation is that Jesus is all that we need. Jesus is all and Jesus is in all. Think back to chapters one and two. What did Paul say multiple times about Jesus? The fullness of God dwelt in him in bodily form. And then at one point that he says that, he says, and his fullness lives in you as well. All that we need for sanctification we have in Jesus as he renews us and as he has renewed us, we can pursue the work of putting sin to death because God has put our sinful nature to death. And even though sin still influences us, we can go about that work. I meant to, I meant to point this out earlier, but, but I didn't. That last little section on those different things about there is no Greek nor Jew, there is no circumcised or uncircumcised, there is no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave or free. God is just saying, hey, look, every single human being that has ever lived, whether they're Jewish or Gentile, whether they're economically wealthy, economically poor, whether they're racially this way or racially that way, no matter who they are, each and every one of them has sinned, every, each and every one of them deserves the wrath of God and yet Jesus has unified each and every one of them in saving them and gathering to Himself. We are to put sin to death because we are a new creation. Hear these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. The work of putting sin to death is hard. I don't like it. It's painful to me. Because then I have to stand up here and talk to you and tell you guys to put your sin to death knowing that I've not completed my own work. I don't like it. It's hard. It's painful. It's drastic. And it's going to be my job until I die. It will happen day by day, but it's not just me. It is Christ in me. And when I am bogged down by the difficult and drastic nature of the work that I am called to. God, by his grace and by the Holy Spirit, reminds me of something. It's far less drastic and difficult than what Jesus went through on my behalf. So that I have the ability to do the work. Put sin to death. Since you are a new creation. Let us pray. Our God and father above, we thank you for these words. We Thank you for the promise that you have given. We thank you for the glory and the joy and the sweet water of grace. Remind us that we are new creations in you. And that as new creations, as those who are in Christ, we have the ability, the power to put sin to death. Because the Holy Spirit is working in us to renew us day by day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.